Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team, by the way. Stop. Stop it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Taylor's I don't care, and I'm in the league. I'm just trying to hype up the future of fantasy football here. They told me we could hype it up. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. That's one of the uh, cardinal my rules way. of broadcasting. Regardless of the medium, they don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right? Your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is gonna it's gonna change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I move to the old town with goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. Hello and welcome to the All 22 Podcast. My name is Chris Lombardi and I'm joined by Bobby Acker, Ray Cotto, and PFF's Trevor Sikama. Trevor, it's so great to have you on. Thank you so much for joining. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is fun. When you asked me to do the uh, little verses this week, I was very excited for it. So uh, I didn't even know that was going to come with a podcast appearance. So that was, uh, that was an added bonus for it. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Maybe it'll get you a T-shirt or something in the end. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm trying to get as much free stuff as I possibly can in life. So whatever you guys want to throw my way, just know that I'm always open for it. Absolutely. And uh, for, for everybody listening in, Trevor is at Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter, and uh, he's the host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. So that's where you can find him at. And like he said, he is the next person challenging us in our All-22 Versus campaign. Trevor, Tell us a little bit about essentially how, how did you find out about all 22? You know, you drafted with us, but had you heard of us before then? No, I actually hadn't. And funny enough. So I started with PFF at the beginning of last year and I believe my moving truck was still in the PFF parking lot on the night that you guys were in the office doing the big draft that we were doing last year. So Austin, uh, Austin Gale was like, Hey, actually, do you want to come to this? We're all like doing this cool draft. It's like fantasy football, but even better. Cause it's like total teams. Like you get offensive linemen involved, like all that. And I was like, Oh hell yeah, it sounds awesome. So that was actually the first time that I had heard about you guys. And obviously got to meet a bunch of you uh, that night, but it's a fun concept, man. It's really cool. And it's it, it, it's it's exactly the way that I was just saying it right there. It's like fantasy football, but much more real, much more true to the game. So it's been a lot of fun to be involved with it. It was fun to watch on draft night. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, to get to talk about my team here that I picked. Yeah, that's great. And we're so happy you got to draft with us. That night was so much fun. Got to drink some beers, have a little barbecue. We did. Uh, Chris Collinsworth even made a celebrity pick. I don't know if you remember that, Trevor. I think it was – does anybody remember? Who's oh, picked it? Was, it was Trayvon Diggs. It was the polarizing Trayvon Diggs. Oh. Before the breakout. Yeah, it. But it was wow. like a throwaway pick. It was just like, yeah, just pick because yeah, I don't know who else. He thought <laughs> pretty hard about it. Yeah. I hope Whatever. it was It worked out for him. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it wasn't apparent to you, Trevor, but we were nervous as hell throughout that whole draft. But couldn't couldn't tell, right? Played no, not cool. at all. You guys were <laughs> no. You guys seemed like the absolute experts in the room, and uh, it was intimidating. Everybody sitting at the table. It's like it was like a <laughs> it was like a Madden fantasy draft, but like in real life with all your friends. Like it was so it, again, like it was so cool. I'm so used to doing fantasy football drafts, but. Uh, I don't want to say it's overplayed because I still play fantasy football all the time. Let's be real. But it's just like it was a different feel, a more in-depth feel. And it was just it was a really cool experience getting to do that, especially I'd encourage anybody out there. If you get to do it all in person, like have a big draft party about it, that's the fun way to do it. Because then it's like, oh, this person picked somebody. You could yell at them from across the table. And it's just it's a great time. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we got yelled at by Neil quite a few times. <laughs> <laughs> 
panic panic picking Titus Howard in like the twenty second round or something with with <laughs> ten other people in the room is just it's a bad experience. You don't want to be that you know, guy. Like you never you never think about it, right? We criticize GMs when they're drafting all the time, and we're like, oh, how could you make this pick? What are you doing? And then they put you on the shot clock, and you see that counter going down. And you're like, oh, this guy, okay. So, but that's the that's the fun of it. It is. Exactly. It is. And Trevor, before we jump into it, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about what you do for PFF? Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so right now I've, I've done a handful of things over the last couple of years. Last year, I was the host for our college football and NFL pregame shows. That was a big thing that I did. And then uh, also doing a lot of feature articles that we had connecting with NFL players and college football players, draft prospects, everything, which is something that I have continued to do for PFF and really love to do. I also help handle a lot of their NFL draft stuff under Mike Renner, you know, working with him and the draft board and the the draft preview magazine and the final draft magazine and all that stuff. So that's something that I absolutely love to do. And then this year, uh, aside from also hosting the podcast, which you guys shouted out and I appreciate, we have a daily show that we do now on YouTube at 11 a.m. Eastern called It's Just Football. It's just an hour long show every single day where we're chit chatting about the Recent news of the day, some of the best social clips that you see on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, but we also do a lot of uh, really fun stuff, and, and we have a lot of fun previewing the upcoming matchups and talking about what we just saw over the weekend, and so that's a lot of fun as well. So I'm kind of all over the place, but basically anywhere there is a camera or a microphone turned on for PFF, I'm, I'm always trying to get involved in it, so it's fun. You, you mentioned Austin before, and I always felt that Austin was kind of the voice of PFF. And with his leaving, I feel like there's a big void, but I feel like you've kind of filled that, you know, oh, at, least, at, least, at least for me. I don't know if everybody else feels that way, but I feel uh, that way. Oh, well, I appreciate you saying that. Austin is one of my favorite people in the world. And, and so obviously, like, he is, he's working with the ringer now, and I'm super happy with everything that he is getting to be able to do over there. He's a, he's a West Coast dude, and this job also allowed him to get out of Cincinnati, move back to a little bit closer of what his roots were. So I know that he was happy about that. But, look, uh, I don't think, you know, to give – as much of a uh, coach speak as I can, you know, quote Coach Boone from uh, from Remember the Titans, cannot replace an Austin Gale, you know, cannot replace <laughs> a Gary Bertier. But uh, it, it's just one of those things that um, with Austin leaving, we've had a couple of other opportunities to step up and do some different things in content, and I've been very happy to do that. Great. Well, let's let's jump into it. So, like we said, you're going to be our next uh, competitor in the All-22 versus matchup series. Uh, you have some, you know, it, it, you're following up Sam Monson and, and a couple other really good guys, but I think we beat Sam guys, didn't we? So, so Trevor, you got a lot of pressure here to, to redeem PFF's name. And let's, let's start with your package that you chose on offense. You chose 21 personnel. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why you did that? Do, honestly, you know, when I looked at this lineup and, and I've got the flexibility to pick either, you know, a second running back, a second tight end or a third wide receiver, receiver. I really like the matchup that Kenneth Walker has right now, the running back from Seattle. He had a fantastic week last week. I was super impressed with not just how well he played, but also the way in which he played. I'm, I'm sure you guys saw the highlight. The, you know, the confidence for this dude to come in and do like that fake stiff arm move. He's barely even playing in the NFL, and he's doing stuff that you'd be doing in NFL Street, and that just shows the kind of confidence he's playing with. He was the Doak Walker Award winner last year in college football, so for him to step on the field immediately kind of take that role. And you got to remember this too. The team was already blocking really well for Rashad Penny before he went down. So I had faith that Kenneth Walker was going to be able to come in and, and be strong right away. He's going up against a Chargers team that can be susceptible to the run. So I like that matchup, but I, I really wanted to get Austin Eckler in there as well. 
So I ended up getting Eckler in there as my second running back because of how well he has been playing. A little slow start to the year, but flip side, it's both of those running backs in that game, and I think that they are going to be used plenty for different reasons. I think the Chargers are really leaning on Austin Eckler, especially with Keenan Allen out. But even when Keenan Allen comes back, I think that he's going to be a lion's share kind of a guy in that system. So whether it's catching pass out of the backfield or getting carries, um, I wanted to get Eckler on the team, and and I wanted to get Walker on the team too. So that's why I went with that. Yeah, I love the Kenneth Walker pick, and it kind of leads right into the question I had for you about that. So you mentioned gets kind of a soft matchup with uh, with uh, the LA Chargers, right? At least from a PFF mm-hmm. grading perspective, fifty eight point five run defense grade and a forty six point one team tackling grade. And like I saw, like the last couple of weeks, nobody has broken more tackles, at least from the rookie running backs, than um, than Kenneth Walker. Um, I think I saw that, that was a PFF stat too. Um, but I know kind of a limited sample size here, but would you are you comfortable saying that Kenneth Walker is looking like probably the the best running back in this draft class? Like where do you rank him in this draft class as far as running backs? Well, I mean, Damian Pierce has been fantastic as well, right? And so I think it's 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 got to be those two guys at the top. They've really been able to show their stuff. And there have been a couple of other really great backs too. I think Isaiah Pacheco has shown some really great stuff. Rashad White in Tampa Bay as well. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting people because running backs can pop up and play well. It feels like out of nowhere for some teams. But there has been a good crop of running backs that have come out out of the draft this past year. But those two dudes are, are definitely standing out right away. Pierce you figured that he would start to get that RB1 treatment in Houston just because there's not a lot of other playmakers where the ball can go outside of Brandon Cooks. That's the case, and he's already shown that he is worth that kind of return on investment. Same thing with Walker. And and these are guys that are running with a lot of confidence. I think the blocking is holding up pretty well for him, even though Damian Pierce has had to have a a handful of force missed tackles to make things happen. It's those two dudes at the top. But I would say I'd still give it to Damian Pierce right now just because he has been uh, more impactful over a larger sample size of games. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I think Brees Hall probably in that conversation too. Oh, right, yes, 100%, um, 100%, yep. Yeah, but I love love Kenneth Walker, love what we've seen from a small sample size. I saw When I saw he was one of your picks, I was like, damn, like, Kind of, kind of still one of the guys that we wanted to put on our roster, but not going to duplicate uh, our picks here. <laughs> but great pick. So, so we we talked enough about uh, the ground game here. It feels like I'm interested mm-hmm. in in your selection of of Dak Prescott because Scott because going back to last year we saw Russell Wilson start out really hot, suffer that injury, come back after about a month or so, and and just wasn't the same. And now I mean this year that's that's a whole different story, and, and he's got his own struggles to deal with. But did it cross your mind at all that it may be a bit of a slow? Uh, start for Dak as he returns from his thumb injury, or are you just looking at it saying, "Hey, the the Lions give up, you know, just tons of points that you can move the ball on them." What's your thought process there, and does that scare you at all? Yeah, I mean the the determining factor for this was definitely them going up against the Lions. The Lions have really struggled on defense this year, and I didn't think that it was going to be this bad. I, I I feel like the Lions are still a year-ish away, maybe two years on the defensive side of the ball till, till they really have all the guys that they would want to play at a high level. But, man, it just it looks ugly for them this year. They're coming off the bye, so you would hope that they've got a good game plan, two weeks of really just targeting one team and what they do. Um, for, for Dan Campbell's sake, and, and I always like rooting for Dan Campbell, I hope the Lions are playing better. But on the flip side, man, 
I think Dak could have probably played a little bit earlier. And that is what gives me the faith that with him coming in now, he's going to be okay. Because you never know in the NFL, right? These guys come back and it's like, yep, he's playing. He's good to go. He's good to go. Is he really good to go? Like, did you rush him back? Because every week is so paramount and important. I feel as though because Cooper Rush was playing as well as he was, it wasn't looking catastrophic for Dallas. They were racking up wins. They were okay giving Dak the appropriate time to come back from this injury and really feel good. So with that being the case, I I didn't have as much reservation as I would have if I really felt like they were rushing Dak back. I don't think that's the case. He's going to look a lot better than he did at the beginning of the year before he got that injury. Um, Dallas's offense and Dallas as a team, I think, is a lot more solidified than they were at the beginning of the year as well. So combination of those things, having faith in where Dak is with the injury, the offensive weapons that he has to throw to, and the opponent that he's going up against really has not shown us much in coverage so far this year. So that's why I ended up going with Dak. Solid pick. And to summarize so far, so you, your quarterback choice was Dak Prescott, your two, mm-hmm. your two mm-hmm. running backs, Kenneth Walker and Austin Eckler, and then wide receiver Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams leads us to tight end. Bobby, I think you had, I think you had a question on that one. Yeah, Dan Bellinger. So, Trevor, I think we talked about it when we when we had met in, uh, in Cincinnati. I'm a huge Giants fan, right? So. Mm-hmm. I love Dan Bellinger so far. It's a breath of fresh air going from Evan Ingram now to Daniel Bellinger. Um, he's graded really well in five of the six weeks that he's played. Um, you just heard Gronk's comments in the past week that Dable was his favorite tight ends coach or the best tight ends coach he ever had throughout his career. So I think that's really inspiring, right? I think from my perspective, I don't think it's a fluke, these, this, this grading, especially, you know, it's especially impressive because you know, he's done it in his rookie season, right? We've mm-hmm. seen really good tight ends come out like Kyle Pitts, obviously a different type of tight end, but come out and really not grade so well. Um, so what do you see from Daniel Bellinger? Do you think he's legit? Do you think this is going to be, you know, uh, a good dynasty guy to have in, in your all 22 leagues? Dude, he's just, he's so solid for tight ends who have played at least 100 offensive snaps. He has the fourth highest grade only behind Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and David Njoku. He's fourth. He's the next guy there. And his game is so all-around solid. 75.9 offensive grade, 76.5 receiving grade. Uh, and then pass blocking and run blocking, it's in the high and low 60s. Like, the, the, the floor, if you will, for Daniel Bellinger is so high. And honestly, I went with his pick because it was almost like – I wanted a solid guy. Like I wanted to stay. I wasn't like shooting for the moon. I wasn't shooting for a guy who was like, okay, who has the chance to like score two touchdowns or something. I just wanted a steady player who I knew was going to get a solid amount of grades for me. And Daniel Bellinger has been able to show that he's a true all around tight end. Tight ends are really difficult position to make the transition to the NFL. I know there's a lot of different shapes and sizes of tight ends and usage. And some guys who are more receivers get to play a little bit more receiver of, of a position. They'll play him in the slot rather than demand that they're in line a little bit more. But when you are what Daniel Bellinger is, which is a guy who can do it all, sometimes that's really tough to get on the field because it's not like you separate yourself from these veterans that are probably on the team. So far, Daniel Bellinger is leading the Giants in snaps. Like They trust this guy to do everything, not just in the receiving snaps, but also in line when he's blocking and just that kind of reliability as well. So I've really seen great all-around game from Bellinger. He's, it's been fantastic to see him hit the ground running, if you will. And it's just not often that you get a tight end 
show things their rookie season when it's not like, okay, you are a specialized player. You do this really well. Like you just, you block really well. That's why you're on the field. You're going to be a second or third tight end in 12 and 13 personnel. That's how you're getting on the field. Or you are a basically a big wide receiver. You are a slot wide receiver. That's how you're getting on the field. You're using Bellinger everywhere, man. So I think that's that's ultimately what uh, the deciding factor was for me is that he just impacts the game in so many different areas in such a high-profile way that his grades aren't going to be low because of it. If he suffers in one area, he's probably going to be good in another. So that's ultimately why I went with him. It's a super interesting offseason, too, because the Giants brought in guys like Ricky Seals-Jones, a couple other veterans, and they kind of came and went. You never really even saw them in the preseason either. And they put all this faith in Daniel Bellinger, a fourth-round pick, and, you know, as a Giants fan, you're thinking, what, what's going on here? Can we really put this much on a fourth-round pick? Why do you think so many teams over overlooked him for those first three rounds? Well, I think it was one of those – it was it, – it, it sounds boring, right? The, the whole reason why I just praised him is also maybe a reason why you overlook him. You go, yeah, he's solid at everything. And you go, like, yeah, okay, like he's solid. But then there's a lot of other tight ends that you go, yeah, but he could be a red zone touchdown scorer for us. Or, yeah, but he could be a big-time blocking eraser or whatever it is. And sometimes those guys who are just solid in a lot of different areas get overlooked because they don't specialize, because they don't catch people's eye, because they don't make the highlights. Ultimately, I think that that's probably why he was a little bit overlooked. And, hey, great for him to go to a great tight ends coach, a great spot where he has an opportunity to play, and he's without a doubt making the most of it. I'm going to hype all 22 a little bit, but I feel like your answer is part of our game, right? Like it's it's what separates us a little bit from traditional fantasy. People need to go in traditional fantasy, and they have to get a tight end that scores touchdowns. And if there's a great tight end out there that can block really well but doesn't get 100 yards a game, he's essentially worthless, right? So – something that we do a little bit differently, and I hope that you enjoy that aspect of it. Definitely. Absolutely. Moving to tackle. So you pick, so you pick Andrew Thomas, another Giant. I'm not going to talk about the Giants too much because we do way too much on this podcast. Yeah, and we then, do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Ryan Ramchek, though, and it's more, more not a question as a comment, just, you know, I love the pick. Uh, you know, the model of consistency. He hasn't had a single year of his career with a PF grade under 80 and then this year he starts it off with above average grades in every single game. He's going against the Cardinals, 29th pass rushing grade in PFF system. Seems like a layup, right? Yeah, no, it was just it was it was too easy of a pick here. Um, obviously, we, we in, in this exercise we can't pick the very obvious, very top guys who are are at the, um, the top of their position. And, and Ramchick was kind of sitting there as this next obvious player, especially because of the matchup. You know, offensive mm-hmm. tackles can sometimes go up against really great pass rushers and. Sometimes you just don't love the matchup. I love the matchup. So this was an opportunity where I love the matchup, love the player. It's Thursday night football, so that's anytime that's the case, it gets a little bit risky, I guess. But um, there's nobody on Arizona's defensive line that scares me. Nobody. Not that Ryan Ramchick can't handle. So that was kind of an easy pick for me there. And then Andrew Thomas, highest graded offensive lineman that we have so far this year. And I will say this. I had Andrew Thomas as my offensive tackle one in that 2021 class, and it was not looking good for the start of his career. And he was getting whooped, and I was like, "Damn, am I gonna am I gonna whiff on him? Is this gonna be a bust by me?" But we came back, we held the faith. My guy's incredible this year, and it's just he's putting together a lot of those things that you saw at Georgia. He has those quick feet. He's got that athleticism. He's got that agility. And I think the strength of the NFL 
really caught him by surprise where he was being a little bit too finesse. Maybe he was used to being that at the college level and those uh, NFL defensive linemen really surprised him with, with how much they could impose their will on him with strength and really good technique. And I just think it over that year and a half that he kind of took his lumps, he also learned and we're seeing the dividends of it now. So with Andrew Thomas, not on that, uh, not pickable list. I just, ha- I have to bet on the guy who's been the highest score from the offensive tackle group so far this year. Really glad you brought it back to him, even though Chris tried to <laughs> gloss over it. I'm really well, glad I had that. to look, I, I did it in a little <laughs> bit of a selfish way. Cause I got to pump up that I had him as offensive tackle one and now he's good. <laughs> I, I had him as offensive tackle one too. And it's one of those things people don't think about, right? Like when, when an offensive lineman that you really like gets drafted to a team that doesn't necessarily do a great job, building offensive linemen, right? Like rookie offensive linemen up. Mm -hmm. It's a little scary, right? You think about that for other positions, but not necessarily the offensive line. When Andrew Thomas got picked there, I kind of changed my tune a little bit and went, Tristan Wirfs is playing with a Hall of Fame quarterback. His job's going to be a lot easier than Andrew Thomas's. But to your point, I'm so happy to see that he's he's been successful since then. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Guard picks uh, Joe Thune and Zach Martin. Mm -hmm. uh, Jumping to center, Ray, I think you had a question there. Yeah. So my whole thing about thing about center is I feel like there's not very many at all good ones in the league today. Whenever Mm -hmm. we do this exercise each week and we're looking at centers to pick, or maybe it's just me, but if I'm looking at a center to to select for the week, I I hate them all. (laughs) I just, I I have a very (laughs) tough time finding one that I'm comfortable saying, yep, here's my guy. I'm going to roll with him. So what is it uh, about Ethan Posick or, or, uh, for this week, and then just in general, do you do you feel that same sort of vibe with centers overall that it's really just sort of a down cycle for them in the league right now? Yeah, I mean, center's a tough position. Um, but, look, the reason why I go with Posick is because, uh, you know, you guys wouldn't let me pick Joel Batonio. <laughs> you wouldn't let me pick Wyatt Teller. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick the guy who plays next to him. I'm going to put him in center. But no, it's a center is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough position because defensive lines are getting so creative with how they're going to attack the pocket. And you go up against these interior defensive linemen who are just these absolute freak athletes, right? I think that, um, yeah, there, there were times in the NFL where certainly you get some incredible three technique players who are, who are unbelievable on the interior. You know, Warren Sapp is, is a guy who immediately comes to mind as somebody who wreaked havoc in a couple of decades ago when he was playing, but Really, I think that you see it more and more now is these guys who are uber athletes in the middle who not only have that size, but also a speed profile. So playing center is tough, man. You're the one who's obviously got a job before the job where you've got to get that ball into the quarterback's hands, whether it's in the gun or whether they're right behind you. That's something you have to think about. So not only do you have to get that ball where it is, and if you're playing in the gun, that takes a little bit more um precision because it's not somebody's right behind you you got to fire the ball behind you you got to fire behind you accurately and then you've got to get the hands up you got to start to get the feet chopping and sometimes it's tough i think for centers when you see lower grades for centers i think sometimes it's tough to read the offensive line the way that you need to uh or the guys next to you depending on how guys are coming at the pocket so whether it's a late blitz whether it's a stunt whether whatever it is Center's often a position where they're trying to help out in different ways. And if you guess wrong, sometimes that could look really bad on you. Somebody could, could be coming up uh, through the middle. We know that teams love to overload the A-gap, and that ultimately falls on the center. So the reason why I go with Ethan, Post- Ethan Posick is because I have faith in the guys that are next to him, man. Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller are two of the best guards in the NFL. And so, you know, he's playing next to two of the best. It's not like one of those guys is going to be where they're not supposed to be or overmatched. Therefore, Posick's got to think about going over to help out or compromising where his 
kind of little zone is within the offensive line. So I just think that it's it's tougher for centers nowadays because of the unique athletes that defensive linemen have across the NFL. But it's always going to be a chemistry-based thing. And I think uh, picking the centers that are going to perform the best often goes to who their guards are next to them. And I think that Ethan Posick's got two really good ones. Love it. Taking notes. <laughs> any any strategy picking a kicker or a punter? Uh, yeah, Harrison Butker kicked a 62-yard field goal that could have been good from 75, in which he Steph Curry just turned around <laughs> and didn't even need to watch it go in. And the second I saw that, I knew that that's who I was picking for this week. Love that's it all I side. needed to see. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. D-line, Bobby. We picked our punter just because of his nickname, the Scottish Hammer. Just so you know, we <laughs> oh, him beautiful. like three times in this in this uh, in this series. Wait, who is the Scottish Hammer? Who's the Scottish uh, Hammer? Jamie Gillen, the Giants punter. He actually got oh, stuck in, in England last week because his passport was like, there's like some problem with his passport. I don't know. But wow. Yeah, pretty fun story. Well, not fun for him. Um, Maybe he's vacation. So you're in a you're in a three a three four right. Mm-hmm. So I'm. My strategy is I'm almost always in a 3-4. Sometimes I'll go nickel, depending on, like, where my depth is. Never go 4-3 never go because I don't trust linebackers. What's your, what's, your, what's your strategy here? Is it a week-to-week thing? Is it set it, set it and forget it thing? No, I, I think that it's a – I mean, it's a week-to-week thing. It, it, it just Again, it all kind of depends on how you draft your team. But for this week, you know, when I have the slate clean and I get to pick guys – um, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, if anybody couldn't tell from my Twitter handle being Tampa Bay Trey. And I had to watch Cam Hayward absolutely baptize Luke Gedeke last week into <laughs> the ground. And so, you know, he's going up now against a Dolphins team that Dolphins interior ain't that great, you know? So I think that they've been okay at times, but just as a unit, they haven't been good overall. So I think a veteran defensive lineman in Cam Hayward, who's been one of the best uh, in the NFL. I think he's going to have his way again. I think it's going to be another really solid game for him. And then on the flip side of kind of that story that I was telling, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going up against the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers stink, but there's some good players who are playing really well despite what the win-loss is and the offensive execution. On the defensive side of the ball, Derek Brown's playing really good football. And Derek Brown, a really high pick when he came out of the NFL draft, his run defense grade has been really great this year. Anytime you have consistently good run defense grades, that's normally something that continues to be pretty steady, especially throughout a season. I don't think it's too cyclical when it's as high as it has been for Derek Brown. And he is going up against backup offensive linemen. He's going up against Luke Gedeke from the Buccaneers, so up against Robert Hainsey. Uh, Shaq Mason sometimes if he'll be on that side. But I think that that's another matchup where I don't expect Derek Brown to get pushed around too much. And then the last one, the reason why I ended up going with three down defensive linemen, dude, Quentin Williams has been fan over the last couple of weeks. He has been getting, I got to say this about Quinn, a little disappointing when he started in the NFL that rookie year, but he has been getting steadily better ever since. And this year we're seeing it really come on. We're seeing shades of what we were able to see, that unblockable ability like he was at Alabama in this past week um, that he had versus the Packers. He had an unbelievable game. Uh, I know his initial PFF grade wasn't the best, but uh, actually they went back and they went back and looked at it and they actually changed the grade to kind of reflect how well he was able to play and it turned into an 80s grade. So he is uh, he has been absolutely fantastic so far this season. And with him being available, I had to also get him on my team. So I'm pretty happy about the matchup guys that I have there this week. Yeah, that's a really that's a really it's a really scary group of interior defensive linemen. Um, Quinn Williams is a guy that the three of us always pull for. 
I mean, we're not Jets fans, but, you know, he's just a guy that, you, you know, you want to pull for. Derek Brown's actually the guy that I wanted to ask you about, right? So, right? So mm-hmm. um, 61 PFF grade in 2020, 64.4 PFF grade in 2021. Like you said, took him some time to sort of come around. And actually, you know, before before we actually had that draft with you in Cincinnati, we had actually been playing this game, all 22, in an Excel sheet, right? And our first rookie draft, I took Derek Brown with a very high pick because I was so excited about him. I had mm-hmm. no idea how long it takes for defensive interiors to transition into the NFL. So first two years, I'm thinking, I got egg in my face. It just missed. Like, like we made this game, and I'm not even good at it right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so kind of frustrating. But now this year, it looks like it's starting to click. You mentioned his run defense grade. Even his pass rush grade isn't that bad. Um so what do you see that's 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 changed with him? What what sort of clicked in his game? Well, I just think that he's now jumped he, to a ninety grade. Yeah, I mean, I just think that the, the the game's coming to him a little bit easier. And you know, I I had heard from um some I had heard from some people that Derek Brown there was a chance that he was going to struggle for a little bit in the NFL because guys, you got to remember this too. Derek Brown was an incredibly high recruit. He was incredible during his time at at, at Auburn. This kid was just physically gifted. And he went through high school football. He went through college football. Not to say that he didn't work hard. I'm definitely not saying that whatsoever. But he was more talented than these guys around him. And when you get to the NFL, that's only the case for like the rare, rare, rare cases when you truly have a head up talent-wise against your competition. So I think that Derek Brown got bullied a little bit. You know, he was somebody who, when I watched him in college, he was somebody who would get out of stance very quickly. He would just pop up. He would not really care about the leverage he had because he was so strong. He was so quick. It didn't really matter. He was still able, able to penetrate, do what he wanted to offensive lineman that he was going up against at, 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 in college. That's just not the case in the NFL. I think that when he started to do what he was normally doing, popping out of his leverage, smaller guards, smaller centers were like, all right, this is a free win for me. They keep, they stay low. They get the hands up and they start bulldozing you back. And all of a sudden it's just like, whoa, haven't seen this guy get pushed back like this really ever. And I think that was a little bit of the journey for Derek Brown, and you're seeing it more now. The recognition of what offensive linemen are doing, whether they're trying to wall you off or whether they're going for a, a cut block or um, how they're trying to reach you or whatever, it just seems like Derek Brown is much more aware now of what the other offensive lineman is doing. It feels like he has definitely studied that other side of the ball, really taking that to heart, knowing what offensive linemen are about to do against him. And his own technique, I feel like he's starting a little bit lower, staying a little bit lower, continuing to have that leverage, and then that natural physical ability, that speed, that rare size and speed combination is also showing up um, outside of that technique too. So, you know, I'm I'm a big draft guy. I love the NFL draft. But we, as a society, often – forget how long it takes for these guys. And we look at the players who really succeed right away and we go, why can't everybody do that? And what we really should be doing is appreciating those guys who are able to stand out as rookies and just appreciating them for what they are, not taking it away from somebody else, whether it's Andrew Thomas, whether it's Derek Brown, no matter who it is, it takes time. Quinn and Williams, it takes time for these guys to acclimate as pros. Um, I used to do a podcast when I was down in Tampa with, um, a guy named Ian Beckles. He played guard for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for, I think, four, five or six years. And we used to talk about the draft all the time, and he would always see how excited I would get about the Bucks rookies. And I was like, oh, you know, this rookie could contribute in this way. Like, he could, he could play this role. And he would look at me, and he'd laugh, and he'd be like, Trevor, rookies are supposed to suck. You're out here telling me, like, a fourth-round, fifth-round pick's going to contribute to this team. And he's like, I'm telling you, math 
is on my side that they are not going to contribute early on. It's going to take them time. They've got to learn how to be pros. So ultimately, I think that that was the lesson with Derek Brown. He just had to learn how to go from being a college star to a pro. And it's taken a little bit of time, but now we're definitely seeing the rewards. Yeah, at the end of the day, these are you know, 21-year-old kids. 100%. I mean, now being 30 years old, you kind of understand. 21 <laughs> pretty pretty young. Um, but for your sake as a Bucks fan and for our sake in this matchup, Hopefully Derek Brown has a down week this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with that, I guess we'll move on to edge rushers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the edge, you picked my guy, Rashawn Gary. And uh, he's got a tough matchup though, right? So he's playing Washington. Washington tackles have been playing well. So, so my question to you is, is Rashawn Gary officially matchup proof? I certainly picked him as if he was. You know, when you look at Rashawn Gary... I think this Packers team as a whole really struggles against the run, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't. He is, I think, the only defensive player, or maybe it's defensive line, maybe it's box players, that has a run defense grade above 70. So he's giving you that baseline of good run defense. It's not a grade that's going to really tank his performance. And also he's flourishing into a really great pass rusher. I think when you look at Washington's offensive tackles, whether it's uh, Charles Leno, Sam Cosme, uh, or whoever they've been able to rotate in there, I think uh, from time to time, they've been they've shown flashes. Like I thought Leno had a fantastic first week up against the Jags, but he hasn't really replicated that good of a performance since. Cosme's had a couple of games where he's really struggled. So it's an up and down thing. And anytime you're changing quarterbacks too, that's also a risk because you're not thinking about, okay, how often is Carson Wentz leaving the pocket versus how often this guy's leaving the pocket? Do I have to wall him off a little bit more to the outside? Do I have to be more susceptible to inside moves, you know, depending on what the quarterback is, his mobility, Taylor Heineke is a guy who likes to escape the pocket. So how does that affect how well the offensive tackles do their job? Rashawn Gary, we know he's a fantastic athlete. And so I think we're getting to that point where, Week in and week out, Rashawn Gary is showing us that he is a all-around edge player and a guy who can really get you some good grades no matter where it is. If you had to put him inside or outside of the top five, where does he land? Oh, my gosh. Come on, Chris. <laughs> top five, like edge players? Edge players, yeah. No, he, no he's outside of the top five. Okay. I, Thank I, you. He, he's, got, he's got to be outside of the top five. Of edge Damn it. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm going to move to linebacker with, DeMar- with DeMario Davis that you picked. And Bobby mentioned it before. We started doing this in Excel like three years ago. And he was actually a guy I picked at the time, at the time thinking that I only had him for a year. He was 31 years old. He's now 33 with an 86.3 season grade. He's playing 60 to 70 snaps a game. Uh, just how special is what he's doing? And uh, what do you like about him against the Cardinals this week? Oh, man. I, he's fantastic. He, he's been, Davis has been so good for so long. You know, it's, he's, just, he's just a player who... He's been a core player for that position, and that's why I picked him. I picked him again because he's a steady. He's a steady Eddie, and he's he, and I don't even say that as a insult. I say that as as something where he has had steady play, and it's been elite play. He's been uh, damn near all pro execution wise for years, half a decade. And um, as a Bucks fan, I get a good look at Demario Davis every single year, and um, he just continues to, to to play incredibly well. He that position playing at the center of defenses is so difficult. I think that people underrate what linebackers have to do. Yes, there are a lot of linebackers who can do certain things for you, whether it's pass rush guys who are a little bit better in coverage, guys who are tacklers. But to be what Demario Davis is for the New Orleans Saints is different. 
the leader, the signal caller, the centerpiece where the zone defense begins, you know, whether he's rushing the pocket, whether he's dropping back, whether it's different kinds of communication, whether it's a field during a play, the experience, what he has seen, all of that is just, I don't, I don't mean for that to go underappreciated. He's, he is one of the best linebackers in the NFL. He has been for a long time and kind of needed to give him his props here with a good matchup against the Cardinals this week. Love it. Corner, corner, you took Jack Jones. Everybody's talking about Jack Jones, right? I do. PFF's highest grade corner since he's since he's been starting, I think. Mm-hmm. Everybody this is asking the same question: Is he a product of the Patriot system, or is he really a, a good, strong player that would be successful anywhere? No, I, I I think that he's got he I think he's got traits that would allow him to succeed anywhere. Uh, you know, he's a smaller corner, so you're not going to want to put play him in press very often. You're going to want him in off coverage, some sort of some sort of zone. And he's shown that he can be fantastic when that's the case because I think he's got great eyes for the backfield, feels when the ball is about to be released, understands how to look at wide receivers out of a peripheral, where they're breaking, when the ball might be coming their way. And I think probably my favorite trait of Jack Jones is his feet, his footwork. This dude clicks and closes about as fast as anybody else is this in the NFL this year. He is playing fantastic there are a handful of plays where i've watched him put his foot in the ground almost at the exact same time that the wide receiver is putting his foot in the ground to close on to to break on the route where the where the ball is eventually going to go and yet he is breaking on where the wide receiver is going and it's just been extremely impressive to watch when you have those kinds of instincts when you were that good in in off coverage as a corner that's when you really start to get interceptions you know it's tough when you get these man coverage corners especially guys who play in press who Playing with your back to the ball, very, very valuable. But it doesn't always translate into interceptions because that requires you to have elite timing and anticipation with turning your head around, turning your hips around, and then going to find the ball. When you get a guy who could play as well as Jack Jones can, where you give a wide receiver space, and yet his instincts are so good that he knows when to put his foot in the ground, close the gap, and either make a play on the ball, undercut the route for an interception, or at the very least, make it a contested catch and make it difficult – it's hard to find corners like that. Jack Jones is playing that kind of mold for a corner about as good as you could play um, this this year that we've seen in the NFL. Awesome. I, I haven't had a chance to watch him yet, so I'm going to have to turn on some tape. He's been good. Cool. Bobby, uh, you got safety. safety. Yeah, so to summarize your secondary so far, it's Jack Jones, Jamel Dean, Cam Curl, and Antoine Winfield Jr. So I'm going to ask you about Antoine Winfield Jr. So no, I noticed you have – Two Bucks players right now in your secondary with him and Jamal Dean. Mm-hmm. Now, are those Homer picks, or you just really don't believe in PJ Walker that much? Well, they let PJ Walker throw in front of the line of scrimmage one time. I feel like last week, no, it wasn't. They didn't let him throw uh, past the line of scrimmage one time, but I think he completed one pass beyond the line of scrimmage last week. And uh, for as much as the Bucks defense has been struggling, Jamal Dean has been good. Uh, I think. Carlton Davis is probably going to play on DJ Moore for most of the game because they're okay with shadowing him in different places. With Robbie Anderson gone, I mean, who's wide receiver two for the Panthers? What, Terrace Marshall? Terrace Marshall's probably not going to be Jamel Dean. Jamel Dean's been doing a, a lot longer than uh, Terrace Marshall has. So there's just there's there's not a lot of threat from the wide receiver two position from Jamel Dean. Therefore, I also have a lot of faith in what the Bucks are going to do with their safeties. Early on in the year, 
th- how they were deploying their safeties was a thing of art. And Todd Bowles has always been really good about that over the last couple of years. Now, Logan Ryan's hurt, so that kind of hurts the rotation of Antoine Winfield Jr., Logan Ryan, and also Mike Edwards. But they'll throw Keanu Neal, the veteran, in there, and I think that he'll be part of that three-man rotation. And I think it really is going to free Antoine Winfield Jr. up to do a lot of different things. He's been a slot defender at times. He's a fantastic blitzer. I think that they're going to have him come off the edge as a blitzer quite a bit in this upcoming game, which... Anytime that's the case, his grade normally gets a bump up because he's great at doing it. So I think he's almost a guaranteed pressure every time he does that. And I just, again, I don't really find a lot of threats in that downfield passing game. Like, I don't think there's going to be a massive bomb that Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to give up. I don't really, I'm not really afraid of the tight end threat where he might be matched up against somebody that physically dominates him like that. So it's just one of those things where it's been an up and down year for Winfield Jr., but this matchup's too good for him. I just don't believe in the offensive passing threat for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I think I saw his pass rush grade was like a 93 or something it's, ridiculous it's, like it's that. It's crazy high. Every time they oh, send him on the blitz, he gets a pressure. It's it's nuts. So speaking of the Bucks, obviously there's some problems there. We saw Brady flipping out on the sidelines, stuff like mm-hmm. that. In your opinion, what do you think the problem is? Like, I I mean, we just saw them lose to Kenny Pickett and the Steelers. Now you're going up against P.J. Walker and the Panthers. That Mm -hmm. that matchup can't be close, can it? Like, this has to be a a bounce-back game. I thought thought last week shouldn't have been close, honestly. I mean, I I, I didn't think that that matchup against the Steelers were going to be close. You know, it's a a multitude of things. And I see a lot of fans and a lot of, I see a lot of media members. They want to focus on one thing, right? Because they want to have a talking point. They want to be like, this is what's wrong with the Bucks. This is mm-hmm. like, it's this thing. And it's, it's not, I think it's, it, it's so many things. First of all, they are down Ryan Jensen, Ali Marpet and Alex Kappa. Yes. They bring in Shaq Mason. Shaq Mason is a good offensive guard, but it's his first year there. He hasn't worked with any of these guys before. And so there's always that kind of adjustment and he's been fine. He has certainly has not been their problems. But the thing that always bothers me the most about what happens in the preseason, mainly these injuries that happen, is guys will get hurt. And then fans or media members, as the season goes on, it's, it's as if they don't remember that those people got hurt. Luke Gedeke is a mid-round rookie draft pick. He should have never been starting. Robert Hainsey has never been a full-time starter in the NFL. He's replacing an all-pro center in Ryan Jensen and an all-pro guard in Ali Marpet. Of course it's going to look catastrophically different, right? And it's just like people forget that. They, they want to instead go, ah, Brady flew to and from a wedding this weekend. That's what the problem is. No, the problem <laughs> is they're trying to replace two all-pro guards, two all-pro interior offensive linemen with guys who have never started before. So – that goes into it. Julio Jones being hurt all the time uh, has not been good for them. I'll tell you what, this team misses Rob Gronkowski badly. And it's not just in the receiving game with Julio being being gone with injury and with Chris Godwin missing a couple games with injury and with Russell Gage not exactly um, being as reliable as they thought they were going to be. They miss him in blocking, man. When this offensive line, even with Ryan Jensen and Ali Marpet last year, was going up against some really great pass rushing teams, they'd keep Gronk into block because Gronk was still Gronkowski. He was one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL. They don't have that. Cam Brate's not a great blocker. He never has been. Now he's on the injury report. Kate Otten, is, he's a rookie. He's not a good blocker. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, his best days are behind him. Leonard Fournette is not the same kind of running back that he was before they won the Super Bowl. 
Devin White is going rogue, it feels like, all over the place on the defense. Vita Vea, man, I don't know what happened to this dude. He is not the same player that he was over the last couple of years. Guys, he doesn't have a single solo stop yet this year. Vita Vea. He has 15.8% of his plays are negatively graded plays, and only 4.5% of his plays right now are positively graded plays. Those are career highs in the wrong direction and career lows in the wrong direction. So the defense, it's not good in the middle. The pass rush isn't there. Devin White's been unreliable in coverage, and he's kind of going rogue. Carlton Davis isn't playing as locked down as he used to. And then, of course, on the offensive side of the ball, injuries to the offensive line, injuries to the wide receivers, and Leonard Fournette just is not playing with the same juice that he had before. So it's, it is an everywhere thing for this team. And people love to point fingers at one thing or the other. It is a wholesale problem for Tampa right now. That's not to say they can't get it fixed, but there's a lot that's going wrong, to be honest with you. You made some really good points, Trevor, but I still feel like it's because Tom Brady went to that wedding. You know what? <laughs> you know what? That. That's a, you know what? That's a good point. You know what? I actually I think you're right. And he's not going to a wedding this weekend, which means they're going to beat the Carolina Panthers. How, how big was the coaching change? I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal because it's not like Arians isn't even there, right? Arians mm-hmm. is Arians is there. He's on the sideline, I think. He's, you know, he's, he's with the team throughout the week. He's a, he's a, I don't actually, I don't remember what his title is. He's like under Jason light, but he's with the head coaches. And so that whole room is exactly the same. Todd Bowles was already calling plays on the defense side of the ball. Byron Leftwich was already calling plays on the offense side of the ball. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a change at all, but um, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe there's a uh, maybe there's there's something to Bruce Arians being the guy that was the head coach, being the guy that was the head of all the meetings, and with Todd Bowles being in there. Maybe it's a different identity, a different energy, uh, a, a different level of focus. I'm not exactly sure. I like Todd Bowles as a head coach. Well, I, I always felt like Todd Bowles is a better defensive coach. I was, should have said I like Todd Bowles as a coach. I really do. I think he's a brilliant defensive mind. Um, but maybe maybe the head coach switch. Maybe that had something to do with it. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, we have a whole season still left to to see how it pans out. Um, Thank God they do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think we got through just about all of the team. Um, Is there anyone that we missed that you really wanted to point out? Yeah, you didn't shout out. You didn't shout out the Montez Sweat pick. My guy, I think, leads the NFL in pressure percentage over the last two weeks. Were you just trying to take that from me? I thought it was a good pick. (laughs) So I wanted to make sure that I shouted that out. What? If we don't say it, that means that, you know, maybe we take it out. We take them on our team. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. If it's on the podcast, then uh, then you can't take it out. But, uh, exactly. no, I liked uh, Montez Sweat being there. He's been he's surprisingly been one of the highest pass rush win percentage guys over the last couple of weeks. And then I also wanted to give out a shout-out to my guy, Frankie Luvu, linebacker for the Carolina Panthers. Man, this is a guy who is having a renaissance year, it feels like, in Carolina. Through the first four weeks, it was like this guy was playing for Defensive Player of the Year award. The, um, the way that he was uh, playing as a pass rusher, as a coverage guy, as a run defender. Um, he had an interception that fell through his hands. He's had a couple of other takeaways and forced fumbles. He's been everywhere. He's been the heart and soul of that defense, it feels like. Um, so I think that he does have a good matchup against the Buccaneers, depending on how much they put him in coverage. If he's going up against the Bucks' tight ends, they're very beat up. That's an that's kind of a more easy coverage assignment. And then the Bucs just, they cannot run the ball. They're the worst. They are the worst rushing offense in the NFL, not even close. So you figure he's probably going to get a decent amount of tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage. So just those two guys, those are two other guys that you guys did mention that I wanted to shout out. It's funny. I feel like Louisville's in 
either like our team or our opponent's team every week. But his name is always on this graphic whenever we make it. So yeah. hey, he's doing yes, something right. Yep. Cool. You think, cool. You, you, sorry, do you think the, the, the trade rumors around Montez Sweat are is, do you think there's anything to that? I don't know what's gonna happen in Washington. They're in a weird they're in a weird spot. I don't think Ron Rivera is gonna be there for very long. I don't know what's go- who Lord knows what's gonna happen to Dan Snyder. So Unless something catastrophic happens, it would be weird for them to trade him. So I'll just say that. But who knows what uh, what the short and long term future could be for that Washington franchise? A couple of years ago, it'd be like insane to to say something like that. But after last year's trade trade deadline, I feel like anything can happen, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot. There's. We all love to to talk about players that could be potentially on the move for like little reasons. Like people people want Brian Burns to be on the move too. If the Panthers trade Brian Burns, they're dumb. I just there's no I don't I don't so I don't even know how else to say it. There's no reason that the Carolina Panthers should be trading Brian Burns, and I don't think Washington should be trading Montez Sweat. Don't do that. You got Sweat on one side, you got Chase Young on the other. Don't be doing that. Yeah, play to your strengths. But Trevor, we kept you much longer than we thought we would, but it was an awesome conversation, and we really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, like we said, you're one of the first people we got to draft with. So it's been awesome, you know, knowing you and, and having this, uh, these conversations. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, appreciate it so much. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I like to talk a lot. So uh, you you guys, so this going a little bit long. That's 100% on me. So I appreciate y'all letting me ramble. I appreciate y'all letting me get on this little competition here. I wish you guys the best of luck, but not too much luck. So we'll see who, uh, we'll see who comes out on top after this week. Great. Thanks Good so much, too. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, just make sure you check out uh, Trevor on Twitter. If you don't follow him already, it's at Tampa Bay Trey. Uh, and listen to his podcast. And if you haven't left us a review yet, please be sure to do that wherever you listen, whether YouTube, uh, Apple, um, Spotify, whatever it is. Thanks for tuning in.